scenes with Smashville's favorite team. This is the Preds Official Podcast with Darren McFarland and Kara Hammer. Now on 102.5 and 106.3 The Game and NashvillePredators.com. Another Predators Official Podcast. We're excited to be here. Darren McFarland and Kara Hammer with you. Hope you've been enjoying these podcasts. This is episode nine, Kara. Can you believe how much time flies when you're having fun? Time is flying, Darren. My baby turned six months old the other day, and I'm like, oh my gosh, time is flying. (laughs) I remember walking you to your car because we parked in the same parking lot after, unfortunately, the season ended, and you were about ready to pop, and now you're telling me your daughter's six months old. That's already been six months. It's been six months. I know. I feel like I blinked. I feel like I was just walking to my car, leaving the last game last season, and here we are. And here we are. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, time flying, the season is now, I mean, we've talked about this. This is the quarter poll. Now we're in December. Things. Uh, this is where business starts picking up. Emma Lingen joins us right out of the gates. An exciting one last night with the Predators and the Devils. She is the beat reporter for the Nashville Predators. You can go to uh, nashvillepredators.com, find all of her action, follow her on Twitter as well. And boy, we've learned, Emma, even though, you know, I thought, okay, Ryan Johansson right out of the gates. Then Colton Sissons tacks on another one. I was like, okay, all right. You know, Devils, best team in the league so far. You know, you would think it's not going to be an easy night because this team has proven that the games are always tight. They're usually just, they're always decided by a goal. And then the second period came and then I was like, stupid me. Why did I think this was going to be an easy night? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was fun. I, I kind of fell into that trap too. I thought, you know, just after that first period last night, I was like, man, this is great. I love nights like this. My my recap has basically written itself. You know, it's it's basically done and, you know, it's it's going to be great. It's so nice. And then, of course, you know, a really quick five minute period uh, in the in the second period and everything changed. And it was and then it kind of, I fell into the trap again. It was like, oh, OK, well. It's a loss, but it's fine because, again, my recap is basically written like this is it. And then in the last minute of regulation, you know, once again, everything changed. So it was a little hectic at the end, but uh, definitely worth it for the result. Yeah. What was the reaction from head coach John Hines? What was the reaction from the players? Because it looked like, wow, this was going to be their night then it looked like, oh, wow, they're going to come away with no points. And then the next layer was exactly what you said. Oh, wow, they just tied it up very, very late in the game. And, oh, wow, quickly in overtime, they just won. So what was the reaction in the room? You know, it's funny. I uh, When I came down, so normally when we're on the road, I will come down early because we have to get out of there pretty quickly once the game's over. So I'll come down from the press box with about five or so minutes left in the game. And I watch the end of the game on a little TV screen in the hallway. And, uh, everyone, you know, you could just hear like other staff, other TV producers, everyone like yelling. It was, you know, we were going nuts cause we we're like, we couldn't believe what had happened. And then, you know, at the end, when the Predators ended up winning, uh, John Hines came out of the room, just looked at me and said, well, we'll take that one. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was very like, OK, yeah, it was, you know, it was a little dicey there for a minute. But, 
you know, two points is two points and we'll take it. And uh, just talking to the guys in the room afterwards, obviously it's, you know, the, the mood, the morale is going to be pretty high after a win, but in general, but after a win like that, you know, it was, it was, it was really great just to see how, you know, positive everyone was. And, and even, you know, talking to guys about, where the game maybe kind of got away from them a little bit in the second period there when they blew that two nothing lead, you know, talking to, to Ryan Johansson specifically, he said, you know, it really wasn't the whole period that we played poorly. It was really that five minute chunk of the second period where, you know, we gave up three really good chances, two of them on the power play. And, but, you know, they all seemed very proud of themselves and proud of their teammates for, you know, being able to, to kind of come back from that and, and hold themselves accountable. I think, can we officially now nickname Mikhail Granlin, like captain clutch? We saw him last night, but you know, you, you go back a few years, Darren, if you recall, it was the Calgary game and one tenth of a second left mm-hmm. and he, he ties the game and then gets the overtime uh, goal for the Preds. So it, it just, I think, Emma, maybe you could touch on like how great, Mikhail is, you know, in those scenarios at the end of the game because he's just such a hard worker. Granny's definitely, I mean, he's one of those guys that I think, you know, at least early in the season, he hasn't been one of the top, you know, goal scorers for the team so far. And so he's easy to kind of almost maybe forget about him, but he's like one of the hardest workers on the team. He's very quietly, I think, put together a really strong start. I mean, He's he's a great setup guy. You know, if you look at his the assists, some of the assists that he's had so far this year. So that's normally the kind of role that he plays, I think, is just kind of the 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 consummate team player, you know. But being able to see him, as you said, come through in the clutch like this, I mean, that really, you know, it, and, and he's so humble about it, too. Like I talked to him last night after the game he walked up to me and I said oh it's the hero and he said oh no 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 like he he was not ready to take any of the credit there he you know he was just happy to be able to contribute to the team and and that's the kind of teammate that you want to have and the kind of leader that you want to have as well do you feel like the team feels like they've really gained their momentum back I know that was a huge a little bit of a concern you know they, they were rolling things were were good they had points in five straight games and then obviously the water main break and everything kind of stalled and we saw them come out against Anaheim and I thought the game was a little slow especially from the start but you feel like you know they they have their wheels under them again yeah you know I think that if you ask any of them that they'll say you know we still have more work to do we still have you know more to improve on which i think is a good attitude to have you don't want to kind of rest on your laurels but even even talking to them last night after the win over new jersey i was you know i asked some of the players and coach Hines this you know are you concerned you've now gone to overtime two games in a row and then you've got to turn around you've got another game on long island tomorrow you know is are you worried that you're going to kind of fizzle out burn out and they say they all kind of said you know like no i mean at least this you know the the overtime loss to anaheim or excuse me the overtime win over anaheim is very different than the overtime win over New Jersey, you know, I think everyone kind of agreed the 
Anaheim game never should have gotten to overtime to begin with. Um, and the, I think that just the general mood in the room afterwards was, you know, a little bit like, well, yeah, we won. That was good, but we can do better. And meanwhile, the, the win last night, in New Jersey was like, okay, now that, that is how you win a game. That's how you start a game and that's how you finish a game. Do we also feel like you see now that they're, you know, this little stretch, this patch where they're six, one and one, Emma, I, and I hear the players constantly bringing up, and I know they do that, but UC Searles did not get off to a good start. He got off to a slow start, and he's done that before. Does it feel like he's starting to kick in gear because he, he's been saving their bacon a lot here lately? Yeah, he has, and, and you know, you said it. That's one of the most common things you'll hear from the guys is, you know, oh, Juice, Juice stood on his head for us tonight, and um, you know, win or lose, he's, he's always been there. Even last night, you know, you look, obviously it was a very unfortunate stretch there in the second period for the Preds when, you know, they go from being up to nothing to being down three, two. And, uh, you know, when it all happens pretty quickly like that, you just think about, you know, how, how would, how would you feel? I mean, for, if it was me, I know I would, you know, that would definitely rattle my confidence. And I think, you know, after that, Juice went on to make some of the most impressive saves he had made all night after, you know, letting in those those three goals, which not to put all of that on him. Obviously, it takes a whole whole team to win or lose. But I think that, you know, he's definitely shown that he is very cool under pressure. He's, you know, he's a quick thinker, good on his feet. And obviously, those are qualities that you want to have in a goaltender. Last thing, Emma, just because you saw them up close and personal, I remember asking this after the Seattle game as well, and it was much earlier in the season. Like, are the Kraken for real, or is this just a really nice, cute story at the beginning of the season? Well, they haven't, you know, they haven't tailed off at all. They continue to play at a high level. New Jersey's been the real story, right? I mean, they have been dominant from jump. They have, <laughs> the Predators just did what very few teams have been able to do thus far through about you know 25 games this season for the Devils. You saw them up close and personal. Do you think this is a team, and I know this is in the Eastern Conference, and so it's not really that big of a deal in Nashville to, to worry about whether the Devils are for real or not, but since you saw them firsthand, you just saw them last night, what did, what did you think of them? Do, you, do they look like a team that's, that has staying power the rest of the way? Yeah, you know, so it's it's funny you say that, you know, obviously being in the Western Conference, maybe we're not as concerned with what the Eastern Conference teams are doing. I came here from the Carolina Hurricanes, which was an Eastern Conference team. So I'm used to watching teams like the Devils a lot more. This is obviously the first time I've seen them this season. But I can say, you know, for it being a team that I've seen play a lot over the last couple of years, um, they are not the same New Jersey team that we saw even last year. And, you know, it's, it kind of seems like everything is finally starting to click for them all at once. Um, they've got obviously some really good young talent. I mean, they're fast. Uh, and that was, that was honestly my biggest probably concern going into the game last night was, you know, okay, they're a really young team. They're a really fast team. And Anaheim is similar in that regard. And so, you know, it's like, well, we barely beat Anaheim. You know, how are we going to beat New Jersey? And 
so it was, you know, that was a concern, but, you know, I think the Preds held their own for sure, but even just seeing, you know, the even though obviously the end result didn't come out in the devil's favor, you just look at the way they responded. I mean, they were down two nothing early. They gave up a goal in the first 11 seconds of the game. Like that's not easy to come back from. And they didn't just come back, but they came back with a vengeance there in, in the second period, especially, you know, their power play unit looked really good and, you know, they were, they're definitely a f- very fast, very skilled team. And I think they've made some good additions as well. So I would say, yeah, they're, I, they look to be the real deal. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool story. It's cool to see that happen to maybe, you know, a non-traditional team, you know, a team that's not usually at the top of all the standings, at least in the last, in recent years. Um, so, you know, kudos to them and uh we'll see see where it goes from here doesn't get any easier on this road trip islanders (laughs) and then a little bit of a break and then down in tampa so we'll see hopefully this is the momentum uh that they can keep going uh but right back at it again tonight in long island like you said against the islanders emma really appreciate the visit enjoy the game tonight and we will certainly talk to you soon all right thank you guys Emma Lincoln, who is the Predators beat reporter, and of course she is on this trip. Uh, we've been checking in with her here on the POP, uh, on the road especially, and Kara, um, Islanders tonight and then Tampa uh, to start off the month of December. Not an easy way to start it off, but boy, was that a huge win last night. Yeah, super exciting. I feel like, uh, you know, we touched on it, they, they getting their wheels back under them, Darren. I feel like they're trending in the right direction, even though they feel like there's more work to be done, I think. They're working the right way. No doubt about it. We'll come back. Scott Nickel, we'll catch up with him next. We'll learn about all these young guys. We'll have a good discussion with the general manager of the Milwaukee Admirals and, of course, the sister assistant general manager of the Nashville Predators. We'll talk to Scott Nickel next here on the POP. Back here on the Predators official podcast, Darren McFarland and Kara Hammer with you as we discussed in the first segment. We're going to catch up with a man with many titles, the director of player development, assistant GM, general manager of the Milwaukee Admirals. I don't even know if he has a card, Kara, for all those things. He is Scott Nickel, former Predator player, and uh, has uh, is traveling a lot with all those titles. Scott, I guess you have to be on the road a ton, right? Yeah, it seems like just the start of the season, I think, just because uh, I like to see our prospects. We have a, a great development staff with uh, Nathan Gerby and Rob Scuderi, but I'd also like to you know, since I'm overseas that oversee that, I like to see some of our guys and where they fit. And um, this weekend, I'm excited. I see North Dakota play St. Cloud. So that's Ben Strinden and, and Adam Ingram. So our, our draft picks from last year. So um, their first year freshmen um, see how their, their year is going and talk to them. And both of them are doing great. They got two really good programs. Um, Adam Ingram's playing a ton. Uh, ben Strinden's more of a fourth line guy this year, just trying to break into the North Dakota into that lineup. So it's all good. I'm excited to kind of see all different levels. I get to see, you know, the NHL, the American League. I saw the OHL, the kid that we just signed, Nolan Burke, and then uh, I see some college hockey. So I get to touch a little bit of all the basis of of hockey, I guess you could say, at every level. I wanted to ask you, Scott, your personal experiences as a player and going through the process, how much that has prepared prepared you and helped you in the roles that you're currently in 
in the Predators organization. I believe you were drafted in a round that doesn't exist anymore, the 11th round. Um, mm-hmm. You were a guy that probably was told many, many times and, you know, probably still bothers you today hearing this stuff. But, you know, oh, we really like Scott Nickel, but, you know, his size. I mean, you probably heard all that stuff, right? And so that probably motivated you as well. So you weren't this bonus baby. You weren't this high draft pick. You had to work and fight and scratch and claw to, you know, to do and and have the career that you did. How much did that help you? And how much does that help you when you talk? You have to have these type of talks with these players going through the system, whether they're, you know, they're frustrated, they're not where they are, or you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I think it's kind of even towards the end of my career, it was I'd sign a two year deal and then I'd be. I play a ton the first year. And then the second year I basically developed the next guy to take my job. So I kind of like all sorts of, you know, experiences between all the, the injuries that I've had, I've had two ACLs, two shoulders reconstruction, like just going through a season and having a season or career ending or season ending injuries, say in February and doing all the rehab, like it just, it's great. And I think that's why um, we put that, or I put that, um, group together with Sebastian Bortle as our player development as well. And, and Nathan Gerby and Rob Scuderi, cause everybody touches all different types of, of bases there. Some have won a Stanley cup. Some have been a free agent was someone was Nathan Gerby is even smaller than I am. And he, he overcame a lot of adversity as well. And um, so I, I love our player development group and it's easy though. It's like, it's, it's easy to communicate with these kids. And I really think, having my kids that are around that age, my kids are oh threes and oh four. So 19 and 18 years old. And I have a daughter that is 15 years old. So for the boys, my boys are still in the hockey and how much they, you know, the pressure on them to um, just with the social media and everyone getting tendered or scholarships. And it's no different than these kids. Like they're pretty much close to my kid's age coming into the American hockey league and, for the first time and trying to earn their ice time and trying to get on, trying to get on a power play or a special team and how to compete every night against, you know, if they're 19, 20 years old, you got guys in our, in our league that are 32 years old. So um, you have all different, different uh, ages and you all have different, you know, where they are slotted in their, their hockey career. You look at uh, Mark Jankowski, who's 27. He wants to get back in the NHL. He gets back in the NHL. And then you look at, Luke Evangelista, who's a, a young kid coming in, and a Tommy Novak, who's had games up, and now he wants to get back up there. Um, so there's a lot of juggling, a lot of moving parts, but um, credit to, I think, our organization, right from David Poyle down, has fantastic communication with all the players and staff. And um, so far, it's been it's been fun. It's been a good ride. If memory serves me correct, and help, I need you to help me with this, when you were coming up through the system – after you were drafted, did you play against Barry Trotz or play for Barry Trotz? I can't remember. It was against Barry Trotz, right? Yeah, we beat him for the Calder Cup. So that was my second year pro, and we took him to Game 7, or they took us to Game 7 because we had the lead, and then we beat him Game 7 um, in Rochester to win this, the Calder Cup. So um, so we go way, we go way back, Trotz and I, from – those days, every time I saw him, you probably never let him live that down, did you? No, he's always yelling at me that he <laughs> that I owe him a ring. So, but he got the Stanley. He's a, he's ahead of me on that one. 
Did you have any idea? I know you're a player and that's the opposition's coach, but I mean, did you ever think, I always wonder what's the mentality, uh, you know, in the minors. Like, did you, could you see something? Did you ever think that, I mean, now he's, you know, he's, he's going to be a hall of fame coach in the NHL. Did you, could you ever have seen that in the early nineties? No, I was too worried. Just no, not at all. It just, you know, he's had a great, you know, came here and great career in Washington and New York. And it just, yeah. Yeah. No, you just never know. Like even Brent Peterson, Brent Peterson and I go way back. We go, Brent Peterson coached me in junior hockey. And then he, then once I was a free agent, then I signed to Nashville and then he was my coaching uh, for the Predators. And now like it just, you tell these kids, you always, you never want to burn a bridge basically because the hockey community is so small. And uh, it's just funny how the the cycle, the wheel of the, you know, life just kind of turns and you, you run into these, you know, Trotsy or, or Pete. I see Pete all the time. He's at the games. And, um, it's just, and Pete Rogers. Pete Rogers is my equipment manager in Rochester oh my. when I first got there. You know, so Pete and I go back 20 plus years wow. probably. So it's just, and then Jeff Camellia was our stick boy. And now he's the head guy in in Seattle. So it just, it's funny how small the, the hockey world is. Scott, how hard is it to transition from playing in the minor leagues to the NHL? I mean, like, for example, we're looking at Yuso Parsonen right now. He's come in and he feels like he just fits in right away. But how challenging is that for the guys? Well, I think Heinz has done a great job where, in our organization where you put the kids in a, a, a place to succeed. It's not just, I think in the old days when I was coming up and you call somebody up and you just stick them on the fourth line and they get nine minutes a night and no special teams. And they're like, okay, and then you wonder why the, this kid's not producing. So I think not, not even our organization, but I think a lot of the organizations, they put the kids in a, a place for them to, to grow and insulate them and succeed. So if they're a, a top six player, they put him, we put him in the top six with some good players. If um, he's a number like you, Cole Smith, you know, he's an elite penalty killer. So he's first guy over the boards. And even in the American league now he's in the NHL. So I think that helps rather than just kind of um, getting called up to the NHL and then just kind of trying to f- figure it out. And I also think it's, it helps that we, we mimic our system. So whatever system Nashville plays, we play the same one in Milwaukee and um, between Carl Taylor and, and Heinze, they, they communicate and at the beginning of the year and Heinze's, this is the system we're going to play. And so then we adapt that. So when the kids do come up, it's not trying to figure out, okay, what's the neutral zone? What's our penalty kill? What's so that's, I think that's also helped the, you know, the transition and the NHL is the hardest league in the world. It's, it's hard. It's a grind. It's, every night it's every other night and you're in different cities and, and you have to produce and you have to bring it all the time. You can't have too many lulls because there's somebody, you got 23 players in Milwaukee that would love to come up there and, and take one of those spots. You talk about those players in, in Milwaukee and, you know, you look at sort of the enforcer type role. Do you see the guys, you know, trying to get in more fights down there. I mean, is that still kind of a thing or has the game grown enough where players don't feel like they have to go and, and fight on the ice just to have their opportunity to get called up? Yeah, no, I think our team has really changed this year. We're, I think we we're the least penalized team in the American hockey league. 
and we're probably one of the bigger teams. So we hang on to pucks. Um, tough to take a penalty when we have the puck all the time. So we hang on to pucks. We got good size and we got good skill. So it's it is a little bit different. The last since the last few years, we've probably been leading the American Hockey League in, in fighting majors and penalty minutes. But we had the kind of group that like to get at it that way with the Tanners and Rose and the Trennans and you had your Tenorties and you could go on and on. So it's just, but we have 16 new players in Milwaukee. So that's in the American league. You have a little bit of turnover like that. So, um, so it's, I don't think so. I think there's less fighting, but it's still, there's probably less fighting, but there's more checking. There's way more one-on-one, 50 50 puck battles and you have to win those battles so i think there's more of that because everybody can skate so well and everybody has the skill and are skilled and they can protect the puck so you got to learn how to how to check and and get pucks back we're speaking with scott nickel director of player development assistant general manager of the predators general manager of the milwaukee admirals so with that being said the one of the big storylines coming out of camp and there were actually a lot of storylines surrounding this club is Phil Tomasino who played last year as a rookie but decided that it was best that maybe Phil start back in Milwaukee kind of take us through that process and what was it like having those discussions with him because I mean I've heard all the stories Scott over the years you know when Kevin Fiala would get sent back down and and David has certainly uh, told me those stories in the past of you know, how uncomfortable those conversations would be. Um, I've talked to Cody Glass about about the same thing. You know, these guys aren't happy to be sent down. So what was that like for uh, to tell him he's going back to Milwaukee to develop? Um, and, you know, how is he doing? And what do you guys need to see out of him uh, before he'll get an opportunity to be back um, with the Preds? Well, those are tough conversations because he was up all year. Um, so that it, and it, but it's just to reiterate how hard that league is and how many guys want to play in the NHL and from right from day one at training camp, it's, it's hard and he's 21 years old. And I think we learned anything during the COVID year was these young kids have to play. If they don't play, then they're just get stale and they, then they don't, they don't have any confidence and, you know, then they're not the player that we drafted and helped develop. So they are, they are tough conversations, but again, he's a, he's a young player that needs to play 20 minutes a night. So right now he, he banged his up his shoulder. So he's probably, he'll be, he's out this weekend. So he'll probably play next week on like Tuesday, Wednesday. So he's had a little bit of, you know, bump in the road. It's been, it's been hard for him. It's something different, but he's also playing with a lot of his peers now that are roughly around his same age and they can kind of grow together. And he's played 12 games. He has six goals and four assists. Um, so it's, it's good. You know, he's, he's touching the puck. You could tell as he got more comfortable, he's making plays and hanging on to pucks. And um, we moved him to the, to the middle of the ice in Milwaukee. So he's playing center. And I just, you know, we talked it over with all our management group and, and Phil and his agent. And I just think this is a good, good spot to put him where he can, you know, have a little bit more responsibility uh, he wants the puck on his stick. He wants to make plays, but he has to be res- responsible on the other side of the on the other side of the puck. He's got to win faceoffs. So that's been a really good, you know, experiment. I'd, I'd rather you can always go from center to wing, but it's really hard to go from wing to center. And he played center and junior, so 
um, this kind of freed him up a little bit. But like I said, he's a little banged up, so he's get back next week and get him get some traction on him and um, just keep sheep keep going. It's a long year. I, I want to go there with what you just said because I, I've always wondered: is it is it overrated that discussion or not? Is it a worthy discussion? And you played it for a long time, and and you're a part of all these discussions, so you tell us and everybody out there listening. So you just brought up Phil Tomasino kind of moving into the center. Mac Duchesne signed his big contract to be a centerman with the Predators. He's currently, and he had the success of last season on the wing. Guys move in and out of positions, right? All at Granlin on the wing, back to center. Uh, I think that's one of the things you guys have loved about Colton Sissons over the years. You know, he's so versatile. Also, so is that a big deal or not, you know, playing on a wing or in the center, can it really change, uh, I guess, the trajectory of a guy's career or change, you know, his success? And also maybe on, you know, when it comes to defensemen, we've seen the same thing with having the same, you know, both guys are left-hand shots. Is that a big deal? Playing on the offhand, is that is that a big deal, not a big deal? You tell us. You, you've spent your whole life playing the game or around the game. Uh, worthy conversations or sometimes a lot to do about nothing? Well, I think for – like selfishly as a ex player or as a player, you want to have every tool in your toolbox you can have. It just gets you in the lineup, you know? So if you're a center and a center who can play wing, if you get, like you look at our wingers, you can play your offside. Like it's not so static anymore. The game, you don't have your left wing, right wing. You have to be a left shot to play on the left wing, right wing. You have to be a right shot. So forth with the D man, like the, the way the game's played and, you know, you're pushing the pace and everyone's basically the only static time you're on the ice is a face off. So if you can, other than that, whoever's F3, if, if our left winger is F3 and they're in the offensive zone, he's first guy back, he's, he's, he's a low forward in the D zone. So um, it's just, you know, you, you say it's a little bit of a formality, just the, the face offs, but they're super important. But I think if you can be as versatile as you can as a player, it's just going to help you grow have more confidence and it's going to put you in different situations it's no different than growing up saying okay you got to play every kids should play more sports than just one right so you get your experience from playing lacrosse or baseball put in situations now you learn from those situations you bring it into hockey so it's no different than playing wing or center you take all your your learning lessons and you should grow and be a better player because of it I'm curious. So with, with your role, you know, you're, you're watching players all the time. You just mentioned you're going to be at the North Dakota game. At what age do you think guys really start coming on your radar? And can you kind of walk us through the process of where you even find some of these players? I mean, look at the, the Predators alone. We have Finnish players and Swedish players and Canadians. I mean, where do you find all these guys? Well, that's not my job. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, so we have scouts <laughs> all over. So we have, uh, a great amateur scouting staff. We have guys out west in Calgary. We have guys in Toronto. We have a Finnish scout, Swedish scout, Russian scout, Czech scout. Um, then we have them all through the, the U.S. Um, then we have our college free agent scout. We have um, so groups of scouts like that are in Boston that are watching college and and um, USHL, Midwest scouts. So um for our organization, we pretty have a, a small staff and everyone has a voice and they work very well together. And it's, it's a lot of hockey. These, 
these guys work so hard and you're talking about a, a snowstorm in Denver and these guys are driving through it to watch a game on a Friday night, um, driving through the night to watch another game. Like it just, it's a lot of like thankless um, and hard hours that these guys put in. So these players that we get, that we draft, it's all because of our amateur scouts and our college free agent scouts that, that get these guys. And once they're drafted, then our, the player development, my group take over and we follow them and um, around in their, their college and junior careers and um, help them with the video and what kind of what our predator way, how we want to do things. And then we see them in Milwaukee and hopefully they graduate to, to Nashville. Like these kids don't just, okay, we draft them and put them in the NHL. Like they get, there's so many um, departments and hands that are on them that they come all the way up. Like, Tommy Novak, uh, I've probably, he played four years of college, fourth, I've known him for eight, nine years, you know? So like you get, you know, these kids cause you, you have time with them and you see him as a freshman, um, in college and then they play their four years and then now they're in pro and then, then they make it finally make it to the NHL and he scores his first goal in the NHL. Like you feel you're proud of them, you know, cause you, you spend a lot of time with these kids. So it is, it's a, it's, it takes a, a village for sure to, to help these kids achieve their, their dreams. Yaroslav Askarov. Uh, a lot of people want to know about his progress. Obviously the big hurdle was getting him over here out of the Russia, out of the KHL. And that has happened. He's playing for the admirals. Um, he's the number one prospect in the organization. Um, it's been a position that this organization has had a lot of success out of for almost 25 years now. So hopefully he can keep that going uh, down the road. How tricky is it? One, I guess an update on him. How has he played so far? And two, how tough is it to kind of know? Because UC Soros, you know, Pekka started later, as you know, Scott. Um, mm-hmm. but UC Soros got an opportunity to be a backup really young. Um, so how, how do you balance when is the right time to maybe give him an opportunity? And if the opportunity is kind of like UC Soros as the backup, how do you know when it's the right time? Well, I think like all the young kids, you we talked about Tomasino, you want him to play. Um, Askrop didn't play a whole lot last year. So he's just starting, you know, he, he has his growing pains and he's going to have his growing pains. He's a, he's 20 years old. He's a Oh two birth year. So like he's <laughs> such a young kid. I think that's, you know, when you, you look at him, he looks like he's, you know, on the ice, he looks like a KG veteran, but you know, he's, he has his growing pains. He's, he's learning how to, you know, especially play in North America, how much traffic's in front of him all the time. Like, in Europe, it's the ice is bigger and there's not that much traffic. So he, that's one thing he's had to, you know, deal with looking around and um, finding his posts on on rebounds. His last game, one hit the glass and he kind of got swimming a little bit, and the guy wrapped it around on him. So it's just like he can make those mistakes down here, you know. So that's that's where they need to make their mistakes are here because once they go up there, that's you can't make the mistakes, especially in that position. So I think we're in a really good spot with. With Juicely, he's a fantastic goalie. I don't think there's any hurry for Ascroft. He just needs to play, and he's got a good team in front of him, and he's playing with his peers. And um, between Devin Cooley and, and Yarrow, they've been, you know, it's a great tandem. They get along really well. They push each other in practice, and more of it's just 
he needs to play and he needs to be pushed in practice. He needs to be coached. He needs to, you know, be insulated. He needs to be put in positions to succeed and some positions to fail. And that's all part of his development. So um, just got to, we just got to be careful with it. We don't want to rush him and we don't, we want to make sure he's, when he's ready, he's ready to come up here and, and uh, you know, help, help the predators. How about a guy like Igor Afanasyev, who I was around some in camp. I love his personality. He's definitely a guy who's uh, you know not shy. Uh, so I, selfishly, I'm rooting for him. He's also, mm-hmm. when you're around him, you realize he's a big frame. Obviously, he's a big kid. But again, he's still a kid. He's still very young. What, what are you guys looking to get out of him? Uh, because obviously, every time I talk, he, you know, just like all of them, they, they want to they want to be up playing in the NHL. So, you know, how's his development thus far? He's got a great attitude. That's probably, that's 80% of it right there. And he's a big kid. He's, he's six, four. He's got a great shot. He's learning how to use his six, four frame and get in on pucks and protect pucks and being first on pucks rather than just kind of play on the perimeter and one on one time pucks all the time. So that was, that was probably Igor last year and his first year. Now he knows the league a little bit more. He had a great training camp, came down, and he's been right from day one, basically right from rookie camp on, he's been very good. He's been very assertive. He's been physical. Him and uh, uh, Marcus Nermi have been real good together. That's two big bodies. Um, They've learned to grind and protect pucks. And uh, what's Igor got? Seven goals this year already in 19 games. He's got 11 points. Um, So he's he's doing great. And this is his second year. Yeah. He's a, he's a 20 year old, 21 year old kid. So eventually this is the process. Like we'd like to see if we can get him some games, get him up, get him used to it, see what it's like. His, historically, it's like they come up, they play a few games. It gets a little bit rich for them or they lose their ice time a little bit and we send them down. And the next time they come up, then they're, they're like, okay, yeah, this is just hockey. The same as Tanner, you know, when he first got called up, I think he played six minutes. And then we send him back down to we're split in affiliation with Chicago or uh, with Carolina in Chicago. And then he came down, played a couple more weeks. And then he, when he went back up, he's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm ready now. Just put the respect factor away and I'm ready to get at it and then see where, see what he's turned into now. So it does take some time. It's not guys like Yusuf Parson and he doesn't, not many guys go right up and, you know, and, and play that well for that long of a time. So he's going to have a couple bumps in the road for sure. But, you know, it's it's great. It's all – he's a young kid too. So it's fun to to inject some of this youth into our team and uh, at the right times because you don't want to rush them. So um, and our team up there has been very well – has done very well. So we don't have to rush these kids. So it's uh, – when they're ready, they'll be, they'll be knocking on the door. We're talking with Scott Nickel here on the POP. You brought up Tanner Janot and what a story – he was kind of you laid it out and don't forget I mean he went from all of that to being protected by the club and the expansion draft which certainly got a lot of people's attention and obviously you know he never looked back and last year he had 24 goals in his rookie season I have to believe and and I want to hear your answer his style the way he plays um, you had to take a liking to that early on right he's a, he's a he was a gritty player just like you, and you know, I have to believe you probably took notice pretty early on in the process. How how did that play out for you with Chano? Yeah, he's 
he tugs on everyone's heartstrings. Tanner does. He's, you know, he's just an overachiever, no matter what, what he does, you know? So, um, just his first year in Milwaukee, I think he might've broke his collarbone or he was just starting to get going. And then, um, so then he got hurt. And then the second year, it's all, I always tell our prospects the hardest year is your second year. Cause you're not the new shiny toy. You always have, now you got your next crop of rookies coming in your next couple free agents from, from college coming in, you know, and then now you're, now you're really in one, you're trying to earn your ice time. So we had a little bit of a hiccup just trying to get into the lineup early his second year, but then, you know, he, the, his style and how he plays and just, he's so brash and he just gets the net. He's so strong and probably, you know, he, he really complimented. We had, um, Maddie Olivier and, and himself on the same line. So they really, really kind of forged an identity that, that year with, with each other. And, um, and they just kind of grew together and it is so fun to see them, you know, just grind. And then actually the, the COVID lockout year when we played uh, in Chicago and then we split with Carolina where I think we're allowed six forwards and uh, we're allowed to dress six forwards and three defensemen and Carolina address um three defensemen and six forwards and um some of the the bubble guys were up in the nhl on the taxi squad so that kind of so tanner was down playing with us and that kind of really spread his wings because he had a couple years pro under him and that was his third year and he really kind of took charge of that team even though we split affiliations and that you could really see his leadership quality come in played a little bit on the power play and he was and he and he scored some goals in, in Chicago. He was, you know, almost a goal a game, I think down there. So I think it's just, his confidence grew and uh, that's what he is now. He's, there's not too many players in the NHL that play like him. You know, he plays in every situation. He fights, he hits, you know, he's, and he's a great person. He's got a, you know, great young family. His mom and dad are down here. Um, lots. They're just, they're just good people. So um, that's why he fits our, our predator, you know, team to a T because that's, that's what we embody right there. Scott, I feel like you talk, you just talked about them. Tanner, you know, when, when Matthew Olivier was on the team, Yakov Trinan, it felt like when those guys came it, up and were on the line, the herd line, it changed the entire dynamic of the predators. How much did you guys see from, from the staff of how much they energized some of the older players on the team when they came in, you know, and, and really kind of changed the whole style? I think it's important to, to bring those in. That was just kind of the where we were in an organization. Like, we we're really probably top-heavy on maybe skill and maybe not so much um, height or weight. We're a pretty small team, so – it was just kind of like a little bit of a perfect storm where these, and we had great teams. Like we went to the Stanley cup final where president's trophy, like we, and we didn't have a whole lot of injuries. So it really um, made these guys stay in Milwaukee. Like there wasn't a whole lot of call-ups. There wasn't a whole lot of shuffling. Maybe um, Colin Blackwell would come up and Rocco Grimaldi came up. But other than that, they were pretty solidified and, and they made Milwaukee, um, their team and their identity and from Jared Tenority down, he's the one that kind of implemented that, that style. Cause we did have that kind of, that kind of team. So when they did come up, they just got slotted right in that same spot between it was Trennan and Sissons and Olivier or Trennan, Sissons and Tanner. Um, 
they didn't have to change their style that they played that style in Milwaukee. So it was, and now they could, you know, now nobody really knew who they were and it kind of gave our, our team an identity. And it, um, I just think you always have to tweak and have some youth, you know, you have to have that, you know, their eyes are wide open going into MSG, like, Oh my, this is unbelievable. Where if you get in the league a little longer, you're like, okay, yeah, we got the Rangers tonight. Let's just see if we can get some, let's win tonight. But it's just a different vibe seeing somebody who's just so excited to get on a charter flight and rather than a bus and, <laughs> you know, so eat a hot meal after not a sandwich, like just little things like that until you're in the minors and, and get a chance to play in the NHL. It's a, it's a huge difference. Two more quick ones, Scott, before we wrap this up, because I, I do want to hear this. You, you roomed with Jumbo Joe Thornton, who I think has been playing for 40 years in the league uh, what mm-hmm. I don't think, and I don't think anybody rooms anymore, right? I think everybody gets their no. own room. But you got to room with Joe Thornton, I think, for a pretty good time uh, with your time in San Jose. What was that experience like? No, I, I, that's the like David Legwan was my roommate, and uh, that's where I was going next. In, in, yes, in Nashville. Um, so in San Jose, it was actually Danny Heatley was my roommate in, in San Jose, um, but Jumbo was like even. Like, so we would have roommates. And then once we had a couple lockouts, I think it was one of the lockouts. We, if you played out of your entry level deal, then you had your own room, which was, it was fine. But those were the, having your roommate, even after that, all that, like Jumbo still wanted a roommate. He didn't want to live by him. He didn't want a room by himself. He just, but you just get used to it. Like you, you talk, you talk about the game, you, you're, kind of complain about the coach or you complain about your, your <laughs> line mates or whatever. That's your, that's your, your time to kind of decompress. Maybe you have a beer and you just, you know, those are my fondest memories having, you know, a roommate and the fun, the laughs and, you know, so it is, it's a, when you don't have one, I think it gets a little lonely because you just go down and you usually meet in the lobby, have dinner, and then you guys go back and you go back to your room. So I enjoyed that. You know, I just, I think if you talk, talk to some of the old guys that, I've always had roommates. It's uh, it was good. Lots of laughs, lots of stories, um, a lot of characters back then. I don't know how many characters we have anymore, but um, they're good times. How long did you room with Leggy here? Four years. Leggy, wow. David Leggy was a roommate for four years. So uh, actually, I just saw Leggy because the kid, the free agent Nolan Burke that we signed, um, Leggy owns Sarnia, so that's his team. So I just saw him. Um, not too long ago, and then he got inducted into, I think, Tennessee Hall of Fame this summer. So yeah, I was yeah. there at his ceremony as well. So good to see Leggy. It's, uh, it's good to see him grow up. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Scott, good stuff. Really appreciate your time. I uh, know you're, you're a busy man. You're doing a lot of traveling. Thanks for carving out a little bit of time with us here on the podcast. And uh, continue success, and we'll talk to you down the road. All right. Thanks for having me. That is Scott Nickel, Assistant General Manager of the Predators, General Manager of the Milwaukee Admirals, and, of course, Director of Player Development. Good stuff from him. We will take a quick break, come back with more on the other side here on the Predators Official Podcast. Back here on the Predators Official Podcast, really good conversation there with Scott Nickel. Darren McFarland, Kara Hammer here with you. This episode nine, flying by Predators, good win. Last night in New Jersey, Kara that's New Jersey's second loss in their last 18 games. That's how impactful that win was last night in overtime. 
That was a big win for the team. I feel like that was one of those. It's crazy to think about it, Darren, but that was a statement win for the Predators. Yeah, completely agree. So nice win for them. Granlin ties it up very late in the game. What, about 10 seconds left in the game to tie it up? Wait a minute. What did you call him earlier in the podcast, what did you call Captain? What did you Captain call Captain Clutch? Captain Clutch. Well, you know, you've been naming things in the past. Uh, you think that has a chance of sticking, Captain Clutch? You know, well, the, you know, they call him the Granimal, and I feel like <laughs> I like that a lot better. He's just, he's been Captain Clutch lately. So, Captain Granimal? <laughs> I, li- I like them both, by the way. So, we, we'll just go with either one. Granimal, yeah. uh, Captain Clutch. Uh, I like Granny both. Apples. I mean, he's got all the nicknames. Granny Apples, that's right. And then Ryan Johansson, just 33 seconds in, gets the game winner. Uh, so we'll see if the Predators can keep it going. Islanders up next. They're 6-1-1, one one, Predators are, in their last eight games. Before this road trip began, they closed out the month of November against the Ducks after having some time off. Let's just start with learning the news. I, I was going to go to the game on Friday. after It was a 1 o'clock start against the Avalanche, the defending Stanley Cup champs, and then my phone starts blowing up, and it's like, what? The game's yeah. been postponed. What? A water main break. So what was that morning like for you? Well, I mean, it was kind of the same. Like, you know, I was getting up, and I was getting ready and pouring a cup of coffee, and then I, I get a text on the group chat with, you know, the broadcast team, and it said, hey, game's postponed. Do the water main break. And I'm thinking, like, April Fool's Day? Like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> it almost felt like COVID all over again of, oh, wait, we're not playing games? Like, when are we going to play again? Um so that was wild. I think the craziest thing, Darren, was when I when I got back to work for the Anaheim game, my uh, audio engineer told me that when they arrived to the rink at 530 in the morning, you could see the water starting. And he said their biggest concern was we don't have shoes to change into if our shoes get wet. We can't work a game with with wet shoes to walk into the <laughs> rink. Then realizing it's a little more than just a little water. There was millions of gallons of water flowing into Bridgestone Arena crazy i know i did the same thing i was like what 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 is happening what yeah and you're right we we would think now we would be conditioned to deal with postponements right (laughs) like if this would have been three years ago it would have definitely been what postponed but yeah we got conditioned during covid to get used to to postponements but wow and then of course you know when you start seeing the pictures and the videos circulating on friday i knew right away i was like there's no chance they're playing Columbus tomorrow night. There's no chance. And, of course, it didn't take that long for them to go on and postpone that one as well. So let's talk about that time off and then trying to get back out there. Uh, they definitely looked a little sluggish Tuesday night in the win over the Ducks. But, again, a win is a win. They get the two points. But uh, I would say that will not win any contest for prettiest games of the year. No, I definitely would agree with that statement. I think for the time off, the one person that excelled would be UC Soros. I mean, Darren, when he started that Anaheim game, he was on fire. I feel like his, you know, we were joking the whole game that that duck duck juice because he had that amazing save where it was two on O and and UC Soros pretty much saved their bacon. And at the other end of the ice, they came back and Colton Sissons was able to get on the board for the team. And, you know, Dan Hynote said during the game, it all started with that UC Soros save. So he had eight days off going into the Anaheim game. He looked like he was standing on his head playing his best. But for the rest of the team, I feel like you could definitely tell that they had not played a game in four days. You got a chance to talk with the captain, Roman Yossi, 
after the game. Uh, what was that conversation like? You know, he just said it. He he talked about the fans, the best in the business. You know, having the patience to to wait out two games. I think everybody was looking forward to to the game on Friday, that day game. We all wanted to be there, right? That's the best mm-hmm. day you could hope to come and watch Absolutely. a hockey game. Yep. Um, so he felt like you know they got back and and they were patient. They were uh, you know chomping at the bit to to play, and they were excited to get back on the ice. He he said he felt like he did think they were a little slow, but hey, a win is a win, and, and they picked up the two points. I felt like I could just knock out, you know, kill a couple birds with one stone, you know, do watch, cover some, you know, cover a hockey game, do a little shopping while I'm there, and, yeah. you know, be be productive. Instead, I just had to shop and from home, <laughs> and that wasn't even you know, fun. I, I think, too, Darren, we have to give a huge thank you to all the workers that, yes. that were at that rink. You know, you talked about the pictures and the videos. It was crazy. Crazy. And people spent that entire Friday and Saturday cleaning the rink so that we could play a hockey game. Multiple hats off to those folks. There was a whole lot of work in put in over the weekend to make that Anaheim game work. And I know everything wasn't still back, right? It's still, you know, there's all, there's all, this is going to be a process, right? Mm-hmm. But still to pull it off and have that game Tuesday night against Anaheim, Anaheim, well said, Kara, there was a whole lot of people that uh, it took. It took a village to make that happen, and uh, they made it happen, and the Predators came away with a 2-1 victory. That will do it for this podcast. Hopefully, Kara, you know, we just we'll, – we'll, we'll get invited back. You know, it is, it is December, right? This is when you're supposed to – you know, people should be in a good mood, so you know, we should get back. We should get invited back for Episode 10. I would think. Week 10 with double digits, Darren. We've made we're, it. We're, we're, we have it yet. We have it yet. We'll have to next we're week. Close. We got it. We, when we get there, then we can celebrate, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> we're going to celebrate. And hopefully with a really awesome guest. Yes. Yes. We are working on some really cool stuff here coming up soon. Continue. Thank you so much for the support and listening, the feedback. And uh, I hope everybody is enjoying it as much as we are. That will do it. For us, for Pat and Cook, spending all the dials here in the studio, I'm Darren McFarland, Kara Hammer. Thank you, as always, Scott Nickel. Appreciate him checking in with us from the road. Busy man, and that was good stuff from him. And, of course, Emma Lingen out on the road with the Predators as well. Have a great week. We will talk to you next week.